He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today I have a short two-point message for you that I hope will be brief so that you can get back around the fire, but yet also powerful. And my message has two points. Can I give them to you now? The first point is, it is finished. It's written right there real clearly, right? It is finished. And my second point, number two, is it is not finished. But Michael, your two points do collide and contradict one another. I know, I know. But you like it like that, don't you? You do. You like the contradiction. In fact, you reflect it in your own life. Because when I preach the gospel, that is when I preach the good news, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, you don't necessarily fully agree with that. You say it, but then you live your life in such a way that says, but it's not alone, but there's more that I have to do. So you live your life saying, it is finished, and you act as if it is not. Am I right? And so today I'm going to make things easy for you. I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> and I'm going to say, it is finished, point one. And point two, it is not finished. Are you ready? So the first thing I want to say, and I want to say it very clearly, very slowly, so that you hear it very clearly, and maybe very slowly, and that is, it is finished. Can you just simmer on that for a little bit? It is finished. That's good. It is finished. These are the last words that Jesus said before he died on the cross. The very last thing he said before his death, don't you think is an important thing? I think it's an important thing. And the last thing he said was, it is finished. In fact, in Greek, it is one word. It's not three words. It's just one word. And that word is tetelestai. Y'all want to say that? Tetelestai. If you're a cool, hip seminary student, you might tattoo that on your foot <laughs> or on your ankle. I know a lot of people who have tattooed that word, hopefully they spelt it correctly, on their body. Google it. Just Google the word tetelestai tattoo. You'll find a lot, I promise you, that because it means it is finished. So let me drop that for you in, in, in different ways. It is finished. What is it? It, of course, is our redemption, our salvation, our justification. God declared it in Genesis chapter 2 when he said that one day the, the woman's son will crush the head of the serpent. So one day God was going to reconcile us all back to the perfect way that it should be. And so when it says it, it means that, the redemption. All that the redemption entails is it. The second word, who can tell me what the second word is? Is. Thank you. Is. What does is mean? Is means is. <laughs> is means now. Is means is is okay i can't i don't know how to say is any more than is you remember it's it's a present tense no it's not present it's a perfect tense word which means it's perfect it means it was it is and it always will be remember when jesus got an argument with some people and he says don't you know that god said i am the god of abraham and the god of jacob not i was but i am it's perfect and so it is means now it is finished for you now and tomorrow and yesterday, even if you sin tomorrow, even if you sin today on Easter Sunday, but you won't, right? Because today's the holiest day of the year. You're not going to sin. But tomorrow, even when you sin, it is finished. Your redemption is finished. And the last word is finished. And I don't have to explain that to you. It means it's finished. It's done. It's over. You guys like sports? You play, you play sports? 
When the game is over, it's over. You can't add anything to the score. You can't take anything away from the highlights. It's finished. It's history. It's recorded in the books. It's, it's, it's done, okay? Someone say amen. It's finished. It's done. It's finished. It's finished. That word to telestai, Charles Spurgeon says this one word would need all the other words that were ever spoken or ever can be spoken to explain it. It is altogether immeasurable. It is high. I cannot attain it. It is deep. I cannot fathom it. By the way, I put these quotes on the back of your bulletin because some of them are ancient and they're hard to understand unless you see it. So it is finished. Now, the first point that I want you to hear, and I don't want you to forget, is that it's finished. So that means that blood-bought children of God, listen to this, always, always live under a banner that reads Jesus' last words of it is finished. Your life is lived underneath a banner that says it is finished. And I need you to grasp that and hang on to that and love it. It is finished. Can I read Ephesians 2 for you? It's on the back of your bulletin. It says, By, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him. We are resurrected with Jesus on this day. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Jesus Christ so that in the coming ages, we might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And listen to this. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. That's good news. Martin Luther, the early reformer, called this passive righteousness. Because if you notice inside of it, you don't do anything, do you? It's passive. So you just sit and receive. Jesus does everything and you do nothing. And then in the end, you get everything. You get the immeasurable riches of his grace. Did you see that? Someone say amen. That's good. This is passive righteousness. Billy Graham's grandson wrote a book explaining the passive righteousness, and he said it like this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus does everything, you do nothing, and we get everything. That's just good news. So it is finished. So let me say it again very clearly because I need to beat this into your head and into mine, quite frankly. It is finished, which means it's over. The game is over. It's history. It's news. It's good news, and you can't add anything to it. The religion shop has closed and barred the doors forever. Jesus has put an end to religion. You know what religion is, right? Religion is this belief that you can do something to earn favor from God. Sacrifice a goat, sacrifice a dove, sacrifice your firstborn, whatever religion says. You do this, or in American evangelicalism, you don't do this, then God will love you. But what that means is you also can make God mad at you if you don't do those things, right? That's called religion. And when Jesus said it is finished, he put an end to religion. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again on this Easter Sunday. Religion is spelled D-O, do, do this, don't do this. But the gospel, the free life that we've been given in Christ is spelled D-O-N-E. Someone tell me what that spells. Jesus said it is done. It is finished. That's my first point. 
Now, my second point seems to contradict, well, it actually does contradict my first point. And the second point is, it is not finished. Um, but that contradiction is fitting, and it's appropriate, and I need to speak to it because we all feel it and we live it in our own lives. But also, I should say this, there will always be dissuaders to everything I said in the first point. There will always be someone who gets uneasy in their chair, squirms a little bit, and starts quoting some passages of Scripture about you need to try harder and do better and be gooder, Mike. Those dissuaders have been around for centuries. The Apostle Paul fought against them. Uh, Galatians 5. All of Galatians 5 is Paul just throwing a left, a right, and a hook and an uppercut to those dissuaders. Uh, Martin Luther fought them, and they killed him. Charles Spurgeon fought them. That's why I love to read Charles Spurgeon. And the fight still goes on today. When someone preaches the good news of the gospel, there's always someone who wants to bring in the bad news that goes alongside of it for some reason. Those dissuaders may say something like, well, what about sanctification? What about holiness? What about trying harder to be better? Well, I'm going to be honest. Those are all in the Bible. And in fact, even the passage that I just read for you ends with that. Let me read it for you. I didn't read it for you earlier because it was not a part of my first point. But it is a part of my second point. So now let me read it. I'm going to pick up in the last verse that I read, verse 8 or 9. For it is by grace, in Ephesians 2, you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For here comes, here comes the, here comes the, here comes to the good stuff, work stuff. Okay. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do what? Someone tell me. Good works, which God incidentally prepared in advance for us to do. There you go. So you see, it's there. There is this part about good works. So you see, it's finished, but yet it's not finished. It, meaning our justification, our salvation, is finished, but it, meaning our work on this earth, your time on this earth, God's mission on this earth, is clearly not finished. If it were, we wouldn't be here. We have died with Christ, and we've been resurrected with Christ, and we have been created in Christ for the purpose of doing good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let me repeat point one, because I never want you to forget point one. Your salvation, your justification is finished. There is nothing you can do to earn it more. There's nothing you can do to take it away. <laughs> it is finished, complete, passive righteousness. But it is not finished, meaning our work on this earth, our time on this earth is not finished, and God's mission is not finished. Luther called this, by the way, active righteousness. You remember the first point was passive righteousness. We do nothing. He gives us everything. This point is active righteousness. It's about what we do. We were prepared in advance to do something, so we activate it. So let me put it to you this way. Passive righteousness is God's righteousness imputed to you and I, which makes us children of God and an heirs of his inheritance. But active righteousness is God's righteousness, which gets poured out from us to the world so that they can experience God's righteousness and be saved. Do you understand that? A really um, intellectual way of saying that would say, passive righteousness is um, quorum Deo. That's Latin. Quorum Deo means quorum in the presence of Deo, God. So in the presence of God, you are made righteousness. It's given to you passively. And then the active righteousness is called quorum mundo, in the presence of men, mankind, in the presence of men and women. 
So in the presence of God, you're already righteous. It's finished. But in the presence of mankind, we are sharing that righteousness with others. If you want to be really smart, you can say coram Deo, coram Mundo. But can I just put it to you in modern day, brother and sister English? English, English would be like this. God doesn't need your righteousness, but your neighbors do. God does not need your righteousness because it's filthy rags to him. He's already given you his. But your neighbor does need your righteousness. This changes everything for the Christian life. We live under the banner of it is finished, but we also know, but I have work to do. I have to love my neighbor. I have to give to my neighbor. Once we understand that we live under that banner of it is finished, we, do, we can do nothing else but turn towards our neighbor. If we don't turn towards our neighbor, then we're still turned towards ourselves, which means that we haven't recognized that it's finished. Does that make sense? If you don't recognize that it's finished, then you're going to focus on yourself, trying to be better, trying to be gooder, trying to be better than everyone else, at least, in your neighborhood. But if once you realize, I don't need to do anything to make myself better, it's finished, then you just naturally say, well, then I'm going to share the righteousness with my neighbors, with my, with my coworkers, with my friends. The Bible teaches this over and over and over again. But here's what I think. I think that when we, we hear the, the first message, which is, it is finished, we believe it, it's the good news of the gospel. And then when we hear all the other messages in scripture that says, pray a lot, do better, put off sinfulness, put off malice, you know, put all those, we, we separate those two. And we say, this is good that Jesus did all this, but I still have this to do. So I, I, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith, but I'm also saved by trying harder. And, and that's, not, that's the wrong way to think of it. What we should think is, of it is that they go together. Yes, it is finished, and now that you live under the banner of it is finished, you are now free to give your life to others because you don't need to impress God, and you really don't need to impress others. You just need to serve others and love others. I, I'm, let me give you some proof. In Galatians 5, for instance, where Paul's preaching that we are free in Christ, he ends, after four chapters of preaching, he ends by saying, only one thing matters. <laughs> if the Apostle Paul said to you, only one thing matters, don't you think you want to know what that one thing is? <laughs> you want to know what that one thing is, right? Tell me you do. Okay. Here's what he says. Only one thing matters, faith working through love. Our faith alone, but it works itself out through love. And he goes on. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to, for the flesh, which doesn't mean necessarily don't use your freedom as an opportunity to go do everything you want and party all you want for your flesh. It actually is more than that. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to just serve yourself. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to just glorify yourself and think of yourself. Rather, he goes on to say, through love, serve one another. Because you're free, you're free to stop thinking about yourself. That's what he's really saying. And through love, you can start thinking about others. He goes on. This last verse will get you. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and you probably know what the one word is, which is actually six words. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's Galatians 5 verse 14. So let me say it one more time so that you don't forget it. I don't want you to miss it. Because everything that I need in Christ is finished. I am free to now love and serve you and give you everything that you need without needing you to repay me because I already have all my needs met in Christ. Do you see that? This is extremely important. What if the church lived like that? 
I can serve, I am free because I got everything. I live under a banner that says it is finished for me. It's done. The score is in and I win. <laughs> and so now all I'm going to do is serve you and I don't need you to serve me back. You know why? Can I tell you why that's important? Because that means you can be a giver and not a taker. It means that you can get at the back of the line instead of always needing to be at the front of the line. It means that you can sacrifice yourself rather than sacrifice everyone else who gets in your way. Does that make sense? And the reason why that's important is because if, you, if you're in a community, like we're in a community here, Seasons of Faith has got a community, Missio Day has got a tight-knit community, so you guys can attest to this. If you're in a com community and you love people, or if you're trying to be missional and serve your neighbors or your coworkers, you will give and give and give, and they will take and take and take. Am I right? And they'll never give you anything back. In fact, they'll take it away from you and hurt you, and you'll say, I want to give up. I quit. Church people suck. How many times have I said that? It's just the truth. And non-church people suck too because they're people. And you give and give and you love and you love and they take and take and Jesus knows it more than any of us because they spit on him and beat on him even at the last minute and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what I'm doing here. So if you live under a banner of it is finished, then you are free to give all of yourself to everyone else. Don't miss it. Passive righteousness is God's already saved you. It's yours. Active righteousness is you work to share the righteousness and the love with others. Martin Luther said it like this. Listen to this. It's kind of it's archaic, so follow with me. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. So a Christian is free from anyone. No one can tell a Christian what he needs to do or what he doesn't need to do. You can't wear blue jeans to church. You can't listen to rock and roll. No one can tell you that. You're free. You are subject to no one because of Christ. Yet, Luther says, a Christian is perfectly dutiful servant of all and subject to all. That's what Paul said, didn't he? Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence to Christ. Outdo one another in, in good works because we are subject to all those around us. Um, even, even the things that you have freedom to do, you shouldn't do if it hinders or, or causes your brother to stumble, right? So we're, we're free to do whatever we want, but at the same time, we're subjected to um, our neighbors. So again, to wrap that up, God doesn't need our righteousness, but our neighbors do. Incidentally, that's a good reason to pursue righteousness. All the times you've asked me the question, what about righteousness? What about good works? What about doing good works? That's the reason why we do it. It's the reason why you should pray more. Not because you want to please God. God's already pleased. I mean, God was pleased with you even while you were yet in your sin. You don't pray to make God happy with you. You should read the Bible more. Not to make God happy with you. Because if, if God's love on you is conditioned by that, then who wants God? I don't. Because I'm, I'm really, he doesn't want me. Because <laughs> I'm not always so good at those things. The reason why we pray and study our Bible and go to church and take communion and try to be good and try not to be bad is not to please God, but to serve our neighbors. And if you are trying to do those things, here's the, here's the ironic thing. Those things are selfish. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray at 6 a.m. And if my children interrupt me, <clears throat> right? I need to be better than my, I, might, I need to be better than everyone else in my community group so that I can show them how good I am. I need to be able to teach the Bible. And those are great things, but if you do them and they end on yourself, then they're sin and they're wicked and you've missed the point. 
But we do those things. You pray and you get underneath that banner of it is finished to be reminded that you're praying under a banner that it is finished, that I'm a child of God, that I have free access to the throne of God. That's why you pray. And then being reminded that it is finished, you are now able to get up off your knees and go love your neighbor and serve your neighbor. We go to church to hear preachers preach to remind you it is finished. My goal as a preacher is to preach one message of 10,000 different ways. And that is, it is finished. It is done. It is the good news. Go live in freedom and love your neighbors and serve your neighbors. You don't go to church to hear your pastor say, you need to try harder. You need to do better because God's mad at you. And sing a Johnny Cash song, you know, one day God's gonna cut you down. (laughs) Fill that long tongue, liar. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's good news. It's not bad news. He is risen, and we have is finished, and we are risen with him to live our lives. I'll prove my point just to bring it home, and then I'll close. At the end of Galatians chapter 5 and 6, Paul tells us about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh are selfish. They're all selfish. Lust. If you lust, it's not because you're living under a banner of freedom. It's because you're trying to find something you're trying to get something from something else. Under the, banner of free, under the banner of it is finished, all that you need has been given to you in Christ. You don't need whatever that website has for you. But because you think you do, you're now selfish. I'm trying to get what I need over here as opposed to remembering and basting in the fact that I have it already in Christ. If you're angry and you're cutting people off on the road, it's because you forgot that it's finished. The score's already been settled. You don't have to cut that guy back off. Although I would if I were you. Right? When we, when we live in sin, when we live in the flesh, it's because we have forgotten that it is finished. But if we remember that it is finished, if we remember that the, the score isn't dependent upon us, then we have gentleness and peace and kindness and self-control. You see how that works? They go together. The gospel is good news. And then being good people goes only after you fully grasp it is finished, which is why I spent so much time beating that dead horse. It is finished. Amen? So let me conclude by saying this. We are here this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead, and he is risen, but not only that, we also celebrate in order to be reminded that we have been risen too, that we, have, we live resurrected lives. And if you are in Christ, then you are a new creature, the Bible says, a new creation. The old has been gone, the selfish you is gone, and the new self has been resurrected with Christ. You are now living a resurrected life. It's a life under the banner of Jesus' last word, to Tetelestai. It is finished, and you are free. And with that freedom, You are freely able to give and to serve and to sacrifice and to engage in the mission of God, which I think you would agree is clearly not finished. Let's pray. Father in heaven, oh, how we need you. We need you daily to remind us that we are children of God. We are ambassadors of Christ. We are jars of clay, earthen vessels, 
filled with the righteousness of Christ that we can spill out to those around us. We pray, Lord, that we can be joyful Christians who are excited about the resurrection and the resurrected life that we live under the banner of it is finished and that you would move us and motivate us and shake us to get out into the world on the mission, your mission, to, to work on our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and love them and even love one another within the church to seek to be more like Christ. We look forward to the day when we can celebrate Christ's resurrection in glory. Until that day, we're going to sing loud here, as loud as the trees will let us, and then we will eat, and we will thank you for it all. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said...